Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week, we're going to talk about talent and succession management strategies, particularly for the sort of smaller and mid-sized organisation. And the reason I wanted to focus in on that is, well, it's in response to feedback that we've had through the HR Uprising group about what people would find useful. And it's also because very often, you know, talent management strategies are really quite well embedded in larger organisations. We have the resource in large organisations to go through role profiling, job profiling, invest the money, time um, and people resources into working out how to put in place something which is a, a sophisticated talent management strategy potentially and have the right technology behind it. Whereas if you're in a startup, a mid-sized organisation, then it's not so clear as to what to do. And so therefore, this not to say this podcast won't be relevant to you if you're in a larger organisation, but it's hopefully um, particularly relevant to those who haven't got something in place currently. So what I intend to cover really is a whistle-stop tour through, you know, the term talent management, what we mean by it, a bit of um, succession planning and talent planning jargon busting, Um, how to develop a talent management strategy in a common sense way, five steps to do that. And I'll also touch on the pros and cons of career pathways I do intend to do a full podcast on that because it's something that has come up time and again as something that people are interested in. So I'll maybe just talk about the pros and cons of it in this podcast and then we'll revisit it at a future topic. So how would you define talent in your organisation? Of course, it's a rhetorical question. Is it a term that you know or is it even used at all? Maybe it's a dirty word. Is it about people who've got the right skills that are aligned to the business need? Or is it about really sort of elitist skills that only a small amount of people have? Or maybe it's about a very inclusive term, thinking that everybody's got skills. Now, I used to work in more of an old school organisation. It probably was that more traditional, the top five or 10% of people with key skills that were particularly valuable to that business would have been considered to be talent. But there's certainly other ways of looking at it. And when we did a survey on a recent webinar that I carried out, um, we had about 150 people responded and 60% of them felt that actually talent in their organisation was about really everyone. It was about understanding what people's skills are and having the right skills in the right place. And I think that is something that you have the unique advantage of being able to do if you're in a smaller organisation, because you can invest the time almost to build roles around people's talents in line with business need. Of course, you need to be tuned into them enough and the business need. And that's a whole other course if you want to focus in on people's strengths. But it's definitely something which can be an advantage in a smaller organisation because you can uh, create opportunities for people to develop 
almost develop in line with their talents as long as you've got that that keen focus on what the business needs and what the person's strengths are. If we look at the term talent though, the sort of traditional term talent management, I do have a few, I suppose, challenges with that expression. And they're often to do with the fact that it can be seen as being quite an elitist term. I mean, sometimes, you know, it can be something where just if it's just a small number of people are seen as talent, then what about the other 90%? It's quite demotivational, really, isn't it? If, uh, especially if lots of revenue or resources are poured into that 5%. And the reality is that those people who are identified as talent, they are not always the highest performers. Certainly, you can recruit talent into an organisation put it in another situation and they don't necessarily perform it, the people, and they don't automatically perform because it could well be situational. If you think about it, when we've been at our best, it's often because of the circumstances, the role and the team of people and maybe the culture that we're involved in and that can bring out the best in us. And so we might be seen as talent in that situation. Yet, if you put us into another situation, then we may well not be seen in the same way. The other problem with talent is that this term is often organisations don't really know how to define it. We don't know what talent looks like. And it does take some, if you're going to get granular about it and non-subjective, and whenever I've had queries about this, which is one of the biggest pain points for people is about um, how do you get objective information on, on what talent is, then you need to look in a range of, of ways, which I'll look at that later as to how you might diagnose it. But you need to have thought through what the behaviours or the criteria need to be to be able to recognise talent consistently and objectively. I've said also talent doesn't automatically correlate with performance. And the other concern that I have, which can also link to career pathways, is it can make organisations or people lazy in that uh, someone can be labelled as talent and it's almost like they can sit back and go, oh, well, I've made it now. Um, Are they actually going to perform? Because actually, it all has to be linked to the performance of the business, doesn't it? So if you want to come up with a talent management strategy and you know, whether you're going to link into any of the other succession planning concepts, whether it's flight risks, whether it's um, nine box grids, um, job families, any of, the, any of the jargon that's attached to talent management succession planning, then What I believe we need to be really clear about is our purpose, the purpose of the talent management strategy and why we are planning to do anything at all. And in order to do the purpose, and you hear this whenever I've talked about strategies, we need to think about what the drivers might be. And those drivers need to be business related drivers. So if we think about a business related driver, it could be about um, people who've got the skills that are going to help us to be Uh, as profitable or productive as possible. Now, actually, most of the drivers are going to link to something like um, productivity because you would expect that talent is linked to people who produce the most or have the greatest output. But it could also um, be other aspects. And more commonly, again, when I've surveyed this, the two most common Um, drivers or strategy drivers for putting in place a talent management strategy that came up. And this again, this was 35% and 25% respectively, was either retention of key people or skills or internal development of key skills. So 
talent is tends to be related to key skills. Now, those two strategies are still different, however. If we look at retention, it might be because uh, we need to uh, ensure that, let's say we're losing people, that they cost um, an awful lot to, to keep certain skills or we're losing to competitors. People are choosing to leave because maybe they don't see that they have a future in the business when they've got these skills or they can get paid for taking those skills elsewhere and they're going to earn more by leaving. In terms of the internal development, now this can feed the same um, goal, if you like, because you're bringing more people into the business with those skills. But this is where it's very hard to get hold of those skills, or maybe they're very specialist to your organisation. Maybe you've got specific products that um, actually it's really hard to bring people in that already know it. You've got to train them up internally. So it's still about skills within your business, but it's uh, from a cost point of view, it's more about the cost of, of bringing those skills in. So you want to grow your own talent. Either way, it's about having people with the right strengths, skills and ability to perform within your business. Other potential drivers of strategy of a talent management strategy might be about engagement or motivation, where you want to make sure that people feel valued. Uh, they feel that the business wants to invest in them. And if you look at typical engagement questions, you'll usually see questions around opportunities to learn and grow and also whether you feel like your strengths are fully utilised. So therefore, if that is the case, it follows through that you're more engaged and more motivated to deliver. And if you do that, again, it links to productivity and profitability, as most things do. You could have a driver strategy to do with company reputation. Maybe you want to be seen as the organisation to come to, because this is about attracting talent, uh, because you develop, you've got an amazing talent development scheme. It's something that makes people want to join you. So it's good for your brand. Or it might be about cultural aspirations uh, in terms of the business strategy. You need to grow or change in some way. So you need to develop talents that are going to allow you to take on that new, those new aspirations, that new strategy. So any of those would be good drivers of strategy. And the key there then is to think about, right, now I understand why we're doing this. What is it therefore that we need to do and how do I build my talent strategy around it? So it's keeping it quite common sense and you keep it at the level that's suitable for your business. So you might start thinking about which roles or positions are essential to business survival or delivering the strategy. So that's one thing there where you're thinking about the roles. There might be people, but it's more about the key roles and the skills within those roles, because that's reinforced by the second question, which is which roles require highly specialised knowledge or skills that are difficult or expensive to recruit into or replace. So both of those would link to that skills strategy we were talking about previously. But sometimes you might think you have to have some specific successes identified where you've got key individuals in a business that have got specific knowledge or experience of let's say technical knowledge products or customers and that they would be really hard to replace. So you might actually decide to put in maybe not an entire talent strategy, but it depends really on whether or not that's going to be a specific experience that you're going to need for the future or whether it's a sort of legacy skill. Uh, and I have seen that sometimes you need to put in place some sort of talent management to retain legacy skills in a business because it's really, really hard to replace. And, there's, and they're different strategies because the first ones would be um, about training and investing, whereas the other ones would be about how can you retain people or maybe get them to disseminate their knowledge. Think of mentors, people who have got expertise in, in legacy technology, for example. 
So you're thinking, which roles do I need to focus in on? This is the key, because you can't necessarily, although we are saying that everyone is talent, you still have to specialise or prioritise because you probably don't have unlimited resource and you've got to start somewhere. So you need to work out which roles or positions are going to be the key ones to focus in on. And also, you need to think about, um, are there any specifics of, you know, specific individuals that you need to bear in mind as well. Then if we go into it, how would we turn that into a strategy? Well, it is about, again, starting with understanding what that business need is. Now, I regularly get asked by people and say, well, how can I get the board to buy into my uh, talent, having a talent management strategy? How can I get the board to um, invest in it or invest their time or money into talent and succession? Well, the answer is, as we said already, understand the business driver. If we ever want people to back it, you've got to connect it to the things that keep them up at night. So if they're worried about having the right skills or competing with a specific competitor, then that's the business need. And it's our role to make the connection between this strategy and the business pain or need. You identify what the need is, then think about how can you address it both tactically and strategically. So you might have some quick fix, depending on how urgent it is to address the need, which might be some recruitment, and you might have some medium or longer term fixes, which is about growing your own. So it could be a multifaceted strategy. You do need to get granular about the skills and experience requirements of this role or what you're looking for. And this is where whether it's job specs or competency frameworks, that's really important to understand objectively what good looks like for one of these roles, because that's going to make it much easier for you to either recruit, train or develop against those criteria. Once you've defined them, of course, you can then put in place sort of development plans or even career pathways that people grow those on a journey as they go up and become more senior in the organisation. And one of the other things is, of course, working out, is this effect actually having a difference? So talent and succession management strategies are never going to make a difference overnight. You are probably talking at least 18 months to get an impact. But what I often find when working with businesses is that they forget to go back and actually see whether or not what they've come up with is making a difference. So if you were, if you were losing people to the competition, has your strategy made a difference? If you weren't able to satisfy a specific customer need quickly enough because you didn't have the skills in the business, have you changed that? So don't forget to monitor the effect of your strategy against the business need because that's going to make you so much more credible next time you want investment and support from the business. So we talked there about a simple way of doing a talent management strategy, how you might think about it, what might be the drivers of a talent strategy, and then you might start building in a framework. So some people would call this a career pathway. And as I said earlier, I would definitely, um, I will do another podcast on this topic in particular. However, there are certain things that I would say that I've learned when we've done one of our focus groups on this that you do need to consider if you're designing a career progression pathway. And what you need to, to think about in these circumstances is whether or not setting a progression pathway up is going to have the wrong impact. And what I mean by that is managing expectations. Occasionally, I mean, if you think the an easy way to think about it is where people have joined a graduate scheme. And I've seen this many times in large organisations where you know, these individuals are fortunate enough to go onto a graduate scheme where they get lots of fantastic development, 
they get lots of job rotations and they get lots of really great experience and they feel very special. And then the graduate scheme ends, let's say it's after two years. And do you know what happens? They go into a regular job and they no longer feel special and they no longer can see themselves progressing. And very often they leave. And if you look at the fallout from graduate schemes, which often they're very expensive, it's often quite high. And that's one of the reasons for that is if there isn't somewhere for people to go when they come off it. And we have to be realistic that, you know, you come into an organisation, you do have to perform and you do have to work your way up to the top. Sometimes the expectations of a career pathway can be a bit misleading. So what I would say is if you are a smaller organisation, you're putting a career progression pathway in place, do be realistic about how people progress up it, maybe the pace at which they might feel they're able to, um, how they can, what, what the impact of it is, and make sure you don't end up with a you know, top-heavy organisation. What you can do if you want to address it is focus on something like... Um, focus more on something like development uh, when you're designing something like that because actually rather than it being about let's say status and promotion and jumping through the next ladder then actually just making sure that people can see that they are going to be growing and developing and they, they can see the next bit of development for them is often something that is is equally valuable particularly when we focus in on roles which are about individual contributors and with that in mind, that is a really useful one to think about. Many of you will be working in organisations where you have got really clever expert um, individual contributors. So engineers, um, lab people in labs, uh, researchers, scientists, even salespeople. OK, so often those those people who are particularly good project managers in a specific technical role as an individual contributor, they don't always um, well, they're, they're not always natural people managers. And all too often, they get forced in or they see the only way in which they can progress is by going into a people management role. And that's actually a recipe for a disaster. Um, I remember the business I worked in that we we actually were going to do a people manager amnesty because we got so many technical experts that were in roles that, frankly, they didn't want to do. Because the best engineer or salesperson is very rarely the best people manager. So thinking about whether you need to have different pathways for people managers and individual contributors or specialists. In terms of your pathway, think about, is it about promotion or is it development? So is it status, is it development? And yeah, choose the right one for you into your business, which is going to be sustainable. And then in terms of the entry criteria to consider is think about how can we evidence this? So I alluded to this earlier. So you've got people who you consider to be um, talent, for want of a better word, I'm going to keep on using it. Uh, well, they really are only, how do we evidence that they're talent sufficient to move to the next stage, whether it's as a people manager or an individual contributor? Well, the sort of criteria you might consider are performance. Are they delivering against their performance criteria? And in order to know whether they are or not, you do need to make sure that you've got objectives and managers are managing effectively against those objectives. So you can see across the business whether they are actually delivering in an objective way. You might have a competence framework, which is about behaviours. Are they de developing the behaviours there? Maybe they have undertaken specific development or qualifications that fits as entry criteria, or maybe they've got specific on-the-job experience internally or externally. So any of those might be um, entry criteria for the next level, but it's up to you. You could choose all of them or some of them. 
But the key is deciding and making sure that they are clear, overt and transparent, because for it to be motivational, it has got to be something that people can see um, is something that is, is fair and across the piece. And to that point is one of the other things to consider if you are going to have this as some sort of status driven pathway is whether it's um, driven through self-selection, i.e. people can self-select themselves onto it, or whether their managers have to nominate, which will make a subtle difference. Again, think about whether you've got the resource or time internally to provide aligned development and come up with something that is realistic for your resources. It's nothing worse than promising the world and then not being able to deliver it. So even come up with something that's maybe simple, um, maybe development focused initially, and then consider developing it with competencies as you go further on. And think about, again, what the entry criteria are if people are linking it with promotion. Is it something that you can have any number of people climbing up the pathway or ladder at the same time. So it's purely uh, based on capability and whether people um, meet the, the requirements or does there need to be some sort of promotion panel? Are there going to be restricted numbers? If you look at that in place like the NHS, you have bandings where there's only a certain number of people that can go into certain bandings. I'm not sure that I'd recommend that because it can be really demotivational and actually be a reason for people to leave. But equally, if you have everyone shooting to the top of the organisation, do you end up having to put in place artificial new status steps? So it's an interesting one because actually career pathways are a great way to motivate um, and incentivise and give people a future vision in the organisation to potentially to retain them. However, it can be a double-edged sword because it can also get people to feel that they um, almost have expectations that they wouldn't have otherwise had about how far they're going to go and how quickly. So there's lots to think about there in terms of how you might link uh, talent management, think about career pathways. And I say, I'll go into that in more detail on a, a future uh, podcast, but I thought that might be a good starting point. So just to recap, what we talked about is have clarity about how talent is defined in your organisation. Uh, understand that if it is everybody, do you have a way in which you can uh, you know, build roles around the individual? So you actually have an organic way of managing talent as opposed to having to formalise career pathways. Or if you don't, then how are you going to prioritise? And it is going to have to start usually with business need. Be wary about it being elitist, um, you know, done in a darkened room, try and make it as transparent and clear as possible. Make sure people understand that it's linked to the business strategy because that makes it much easier when you're having to be selective about which roles go first. If you do put in place your strategy, it's about connecting with the business needs and then also monitoring to see whether your strategy is having an effect and considering tweaking or adjusting it if it's not. And finally, in terms of your career progression pathway, consider whether you're going to have multiple pathways for managers and individual contributors and what the entry criteria might be, performance, competence, development or relevant experience. So hopefully that's been useful to you. Um, do tune in next week. We've got a number of specialist uh, webinars coming up, uh, webinars, sorry, podcasts coming up with some great guests, actually, doing lots of work with the good old HR indies imminently. And if you've enjoyed what we've, we've been talking about today, do give us a review on whichever platform you're talking, you're listening on and uh, tell your colleagues. And it'd be great if other people can find the HR Uprising podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising. 
proudly brought to you by Acta Software, the joined-up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues, and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising. 